Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Hardly ho, podcast arenas. <laughs> Casey Atkins. Hello everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Mm, 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 <laughs> mm. Okay, well, um, we are, we are, <laughs> we are halfway through 1994 tonight and we will be talking about another five number one singles with, uh, throughout the 90s, this time in, yeah, in 1994. We will be starting with a song that was number one for four weeks from the 30th of April, 1994. And it's Ace of Base with the sign. Ace of Base with the sign, number one for four weeks in 1994, and we've discussed Ace of Base a couple of episodes ago when they charted at number one with All That She Wants. This song was actually number one for four weeks, and the other one was three, so actually a bigger hit. And I think that was pretty much the case. I think this song might be more famous than All That She Wants, just slightly. Is yeah, this song, this song was the number one single of 1994 in the U.S., Right, so right. It's, it's sort of more famous worldwide. Well, let's get into it, guys. Uh, well, Tim Byron, how do you feel about this song? This is a song that I kind of don't feel that much about. Like, I mm. kind of liked it at the time, and I kind of like it now. I, I, there's, there's nothing to hate in this song. There's nothing that, like, really, really blows me away. But, yeah, it's pretty good. It's got, I think it's got a better production than all she, that she wants. It hasn't aged quite as badly. I like to do what progression in the chorus you know, like the kind of major minor kind of thing, which it does slightly more subtly than it does in, in All That She Wants, but still there. It's pretty well crafted, pretty well put together. It's it's pretty good. And, um, you know, life is demanding and there is no understanding. So <laughs> I, I, I dig that bit. Um, but <laughs> so that, you. I don't really have much to say. So, Tim Coyle, what do you think? <laughs> um, bigger hit and a better song. Uh, and, yeah, I responded more to this at the time than I did to All That She Wants and listening to it this week, I think, yeah, it's a great little song. It's, it's a really good chorus and, yeah, just a lot of good hooks in it and I think she turns in a better vocal performance here than what she did on All That She Wants and, yeah, I enjoyed it. I actually remember you saying when we talked about All That You Wants that you were disappointed to have to yeah. be talking about all she wants because you wanted to be talking <laughs> well, about exactly, this. Because yeah. <laughs> I think this is just that much of a better song than All That She Wants. It's not that All, all That She Wants is a bad song, but this one for me is just a, a lot better. Casey Atkins. I don't agree. I prefer All That She Wants. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I just, I like the line in the chorus um, more. And I, I find it it just kind of hooks onto my ears more than this one. This one I don't I don't mind, um, but it's I actually find it extremely forgettable, really forgettable. I it kind of passed me by at the time. I think I was disappointed as a follow up in it as a follow up because I quite did like all that she wants at the time. Um, and this week, yeah, I kind of felt the same except for that little um, bit in the intro where she really like goes for it in her in her little vocal intro that. Yeah, like I think that's really cool. But other than really, that, yeah. But other than that, I think all she wants is a better song. See, I actually really, really dislike that moment. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's one of those things that makes me not like. It's taking it away from being a really, really great pop song. Is those little 
I actually don't like a lot of the production ideas, mm-hmm. but the song is great. The, the the vocal, the melody, and the hook is great. So I think, yeah, I really, really love this song. I love it a lot more than all that she wants, and I actually, um, yeah, love it quite a bit. I did in the day, and yeah, listening to it this week, yeah, it was just great. And I, there's a bit uh, near the end where she sings... Over the same chords, but she goes up like a third or something. Yeah, that bit was really yeah, good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. That is good. And it's freaking just really, really cool songwriting things. Yeah. That, and it just sort of enters, comes back in in a nice way and the outro is really nice. So I just think there's, I mean, obviously the the template is ABBA, right? Sure. Because yeah. they're Swedish and there's two guys, there's two girls, one blonde, <laughs> one brunette, everything like And just it's, it's the time where they actually sort of were making like, because of moments like that and other details, it's quite sophisticated pop. And, yeah, I love it. So I think it's a great song. Um, so, The Sign. Like, we've talked about Ace of Base. Uh, I, I love the fact that... I, I don't know if you guys seen the film Pitch Perfect? No. Oh, no. It's, it's a fantastic film about uh, a cappella groups. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a romantic comedy sort of thing with Anna Kendrick from... Ah, uh, uh, yes. Uh, up in the Air. And... And the, the funny thing is, the, the the acapella group that she joins, which is like the daggiest acapella group, their signature song is the sign. <laughs> nice. And they keep performing it during the course of that film. And you listen to it the course of the film, and you just go, "Oh, that's pretty awesome!" Like what they've done to it. So we'll post a uh, link to that. And also, quite a few years ago, John Danielle of one of my favourite groups, the Mountain Goats, began playing this live, often with a lengthy introduction, saying that. Uh, he was basically railing against some people who reviewed his shows when he played this at first, saying that he was doing it ironically. And he says, no, I'm not doing it ironically. I fucking love this song. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm. and would proceed to play it. And it's really interesting and it's a very fun and great version of the song as well. And it, it's also stripping down a lot of the reggae affectations of the the original to just show that there's actually a really good little pop song at the heart of it. It's, ah. it's funny with it's funny with that particular version because I listened to it because I knew Tim Coyle had been going on about it, and um, <laughs> right. I listened like the I really liked the intro to it that he was doing, which went on for about three minutes on the version that I saw from a couple of years ago. And um, but when he got to the song, like he he did strip down that reggae affectations, um, but he also stripped out some of the cool stuff in the song. Like he just um, had the same chords over and over again when he was playing it, and so I missed out that kind of really cool like mm. do what kind of thing in the chorus and some of the major minor thing. And so I was like. Yeah, this is good, and I like the idea of this. But it's like, ah, do the yeah. do the stuff. Why aren't you doing the stuff, John Daniel? <laughs> yeah, it was it was made to fit his style and his limitations yeah. Yeah. as both a vocalist and a player. Maybe didn't suit some of the more sophisticated aspects of the song. But the thing you always get with the Mountain Goats and John, John Daniel is energy, and that's yeah. what that version brings. The the one thing I really also want to talk about, which is another reason I love this song is the use in an episode of South Park, I don't know if you've ever seen, where they found a guy who's been trapped in the ice and they dig him out as a prehistoric man from 1996, and this is in 1999. (laughs) (laughs) They put him in, like, an isolation room to make him feel, like, at home, and they play a lot of Ace of Base things (laughs) to make him feel like he's not out of time. (laughs) And it's just... So great. It just it just screams mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. and it's the curious yeah. thing because Ace of Base just came and went so quickly. Well, that's the question. Like, is there is there anything else? Like, what came after? Well, yeah, they had a, a top 20 single, a number 11, with a song called Beautiful Life beautiful. in 96 or so. Oh, it's a beautiful life. Yeah. Oh. To be subsequently so used on, like, a billion ads for things. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was actually a pretty... It wasn't a huge change in direction, but it was a change in direction because the reggae thing is almost entirely gone in that yeah. song. It's just kind of like Euro disco pop, yeah. like yeah. everything else. And um, I mean, I don't know how much of an affectation this reggae stuff was for Ace of Bass, whether they were actually like properly into reggae or whether it was just something they were like, hey, reggae's big this year, let's do reggae. <laughs> and I suspect it's the latter rather than the former. But um yeah, I don't think it adds the reggae stuff adds that much to their sound apart from 
it really works on the sign and doesn't work quite as well on all, all that she wants, I think. But Casey's probably about to disagree with me. Oh, look, I just, for, for whatever reason, and I think it is just that line in the chorus of all that she wants, there's just something about what it is, and I wrote about it when I wrote the blog piece, but um, it just... Um, the mystery of the inner out baby. No, not the mystery <laughs> of the inner out baby, which actually, if we want to actually uh, reprise the inner out conversation, uh, I was totally wrong. It's totally in. <laughs> I've reviewed the lyrics since um, So for those of you playing at home It's totally in um, I don't know, I, I still uh, want to believe I, I want to believe Casey that it's out I told you all <laughs> um, But no, there's some, for whatever reason um, the, uh, All that she wants I, I just enjoy more I'm not going to get into an argument about Which is a better song for whatever reason But you know, it's just well, one of those subjective things What's <laughs> <laughs> the cool. point of having a podcast? <laughs> Um, Our second song of tonight was number one for two weeks from the 28th of May, 1994. Uh, It's another appearance by this artist. This is Prince with The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. So that was The Most Beautiful Girl in the World by Prince, or perhaps, actually, I was corrected that it's actually by Squiggly. Uh, <laughs> the, artist, <laughs> the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, well, Tim Byron, you're the biggest fan, I think. You've chosen Prince before. How do you feel about this song? Worst Prince song ever. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think it actually is my least well-liked Prince song. It's just... It's just soppy. Like, like Prince is usually sort of fun and exciting, and this is very adult contemporary in a way that Prince rarely was up until this point. Like, it's just, like, you know, it's it's the song that's so ripe for parody that when the Flight of the Concords did that with the most beautiful girl in the room. In the room. The whole wide um, room. Yeah, yeah, and, and, like, that song sort of says it all. It's like, you know, could you be the most beautiful girl in the world? Possibly, but probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Tim Coyle. Yeah, I gotta agree with Tim Byron with this one. It's yeah, I just find it a little, a little flat. Whereas you're, um, I, I guess, the idea of Prince is that he's anything but flat, and this one's just yeah. I think. Maybe the the whole issue about the the contractual, um, the contractual issues in the mid nineteen nineties, which also led to the name change, which also led to people such as me finding Prince a little bit of a punchline to a joke at this mm. stage, uh, because it was Prince or the artist formerly known as Prince slash Love Symbol or whatever it was, and you chuckle about that because it just seems so absurd. And as an adult, you understand, yeah, some pretty heavy stuff was going on at the time. But, yeah, he just seems to have lost his spark with this song for mine. Uh, for mine. And, yeah, I kind of turned off Prince at the time. And while I've come around to most of Prince's stuff, this song hasn't really won me Did, didn't make it back around? No. <laughs> Casey? Yeah, no real arguments here <laughs> um, in general. Uh what you said, Tim Coyle, about um, him being a bit of a punchline to a joke, like I, I kind of, he was almost heading, not all the way, but he was teetering towards like Michael Jackson territory mm. at, at, a, at a point. 
Um, and I remember having very similar thoughts to that. I just remember thinking, because I loved, I mean, we talked about Cream and a Choose Your Own Adventure. Mm. We've actually talked about, I feel like we've talked about Prince more than any other one single artist, actually, because he's written a whole bunch of the songs mm. that got to number yep. one. We've talked about him on Choose Your Own Adventure, mm. a whole bunch of things. Um, and so, like, I love Cream and lot, lots of other songs, but um, but this one I was like, uh, he's going like that, is he? And he's seemingly a bit weird and, okay, I think I might be done. That, that That's about how I felt at this point. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same. Like, I remember thinking that this was kind of a fine song back in the day. Like, it was – he released so many singles mm. that it was just like, okay, it's another one. I – yeah. I'm surprised it got to number one. Same. But, like, it didn't really strike me as anything special from Prince. And it was around that time where, you know, he'd do, like, a Sexy MF and then he'd do, like, a Money Don't Matter Tonight. And it was just, like, kind of wallpaper. And this was definitely, uh, like, mid-level, if not low-level Prince for me. So it was just like, eh, whatever. And, yeah. I don't know. And then I, this actually kind of marks the point where I gave up on the guy, really. Yeah. Um, I don't really have... Um, I'm not sure he really threatened the charts much more after this, but he just kind of became a joke. You know, he's, the name was, yeah, it was just right there for, like, Letterman and all those people, you know, just get on late night and just make jokes about him. And hmm. um, and then he just we had the nuts. You had the Regurgitator song, um, the song formerly known as, that was a Prince pastiche. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, much better than this piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this though. I watching the film clip, listening to the song this week. God, he can sing. He sure can sing. God, yeah, he can sing. Yeah, yeah. Holds that falsetto. He's got one hell of a falsetto. Yeah. And he just like yeah. I remember thinking, you know, obviously, I okay. So he's got the greatest falsetto song of all time, which is Kiss. Mm. Surely, right? Like yeah. just, um, and just to hear that falsetto again actually was kind of pleasant. Having not listened to the song mm. and just going, yeah, he friggin' nails it, and he just. Like, it, it might be subpar Prince, but I think he is doing exactly what he wants to do in that song. I think that's always the thing with Prince, even when it's a song like this, which for me just doesn't hit at most levels. He can still deliver something mm. there, and, mm. whether, and it's usually in the, the performance just being top-notch, which it is here. Um, Whether that be vocal or instrumental performance, that you can can appreciate. So there there is something to appreciate in this song, but yeah, it's just kind of for mine at the the um, the uninteresting end of his material. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so for me, this song, the thing I like about it, um, I mean, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to do like a seventies Philly soul kind of thing with this. I think he's trying to be like. who are they, like the OJs or like, you know, any of the Gamble and Huff kind of... Yeah, I'm thinking, who's the guy who sang um, If You Don't Know Me By Now, that sort of... David Michael Bolton. <laughs> David Bolton. Was <laughs> 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 Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes, but that's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um. but, but yeah, I, I think I think he he was quite influenced by that, and he that's what he was going for with money. Influenced by Michael Bolton, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. and so and so I like that. And there's a, there's a bit in the middle of this where he kind of breaks it down, and he's singing the chorus, and there's this kind of like you know big harmony kind of vocal group kind of stuff, like with like a bass voice, beautiful girl in the world, and like you know while he's doing the stuff over the top, and I like that bit in the song, and like that's the bit I wait for and listen to and go, hey, that's that bit's pretty cool. I agree, um, actually. But, that's a nice. That's a really nice vocal yeah. arrangement. You know, but in most Prince, you don't Prince songs. You don't have to wait half the song to get to the good bit. Yeah. You know what? The other thing that I remember about this song is that, and how I felt about it, it was just, uh, and I guess we'll talk more about it, especially in the next song. It was just a sea change for music around that time. Mm. Like, regardless of what someone like Prince was doing, guys like him and Michael Jackson and Madonna and stuff were just sort of moving. Slightly out of the charts, and these interesting new bands were coming in. Well, when we covered Prince in the earlier episodes of this podcast, we made a point of of saying, look, this guy was one of the big acts of the time, and now he's receding mm. from, from view in terms of popularity. And also, I think his songwriting's on the wane a little, mm. that this song is evidence of. And, yeah, he just kind of... 
he passes from giant of early 90s music to punchline to a joke so quickly. Yeah. It's in the blink of an eye and all of a sudden, yeah, he's a guy having gags made about him and people can't take him seriously. Whereas he'd been huge from from the mid-80s up until now. And, yeah, it just seemed to make sense at the time that he turned into a joke. But looking back on it, it's it's a little bizarre that that, mm. that happened so quickly because he should have built up so much goodwill from all those amazing songs that he'd written for... It's all back, though, we, I reckon, with Prince, though. I think, yeah, And, yeah, and that's something we've, we've talked about, the goodwill nowadays yeah. for Prince, um, and it's, it's, it's massive, it's huge. I know, I think it also just made everyone realise how much of a weirdo he's always been, and he sort of like, ignored it. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you watch Purple Rain, that is a fucking weird movie. <laughs> yeah. And I think... Um, like I think it's it's got to do with the like the sounds that were happening in the '90s and the kind of rise of alternative rock and this kind of music that was very against pretensions. Yeah. yeah so you know, by the time you get to yeah, Jarvis Cocker shaking his uh, wiggling his butt at Michael Jackson on, on live TV, um, you know, Michael Jackson he had you know he was brilliant, but he had so much hubris. Like he like. In 1990, Michael Jackson, um, you know, right before Black or White, like he'd sent a memo to um, to MTV saying that they had to call him the King of Pop, otherwise they weren't going to get the exclusive rights of uh, for Black and White. And I think I talked about this in the podcast, but he was so convinced that he had to be called the King of Pop, even when Elvis Presley already existed. Yes, mm. uh, um, that that you know he wanted to be that, and so I think like you know. Prince had a bit of that same kind of stuff. He felt he was in the same kind of genre as Michael Jackson and Madonna. And so, you know, it was bound to happen to him because he's a guy who, um, you know, he, he's got an ego, Prince. Like, he, that's one of the things that comes across that, like, he thinks he's pretty good. Yeah, he loves himself. We can tell. Um, but I think you're, I think uh, it's definitely right that those alternative bands that came around this time, that they... Me definitely feel like, hey, maybe I can be in a band and millions of other kids well, was, was designed to kill these artists. Yeah, that yeah. punk ethos resurfacing, really, mm. and artists such as Prince who are based around real sophistication as far as how mm. mu- their music is put together and presented is that that is undermined by the ethos of a lot of alternative bands seen as yeah, something mm. inauthentic and perhaps um, a little more established, a little more safe and conservative. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that counted against him for a time there in the mid-90s. Well, look, if nothing else, this song gave us Most Beautiful Girl in the Room. Mm-hmm. The Concord, 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 which is yep. just yeah. the, it's, the it's, greatest. It's, it's, an, it's an episode one. Is it the first song that they sing in episode one? I think it might be. Oh, I don't know. I think I've heard the song before. Right. I saw the show, though. Um, it's just it's just the best song. Like so, mm. you know. Apart from all their other great songs. Well, yeah, there's yeah. so many. So uh, now that the late show about this time about over, and there's no more parodies for them, I'll start posting parodies on the blog. That make it's all right. We've still got Weird Al Yankovic. Yes, we get to speak about that tonight. Ninety hits. Mm. 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 Song number three for tonight. Mm. Mm. This song was number one for three weeks from the 11th of June, 1994. This is Crash Test Dummies with.
So that was Crash Test Dummies. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Number one for three weeks. And ah, uh, Casey, why don't we start with you? Oh, if we have to. Um, you know what? I quite liked it. I actually really liked it then. I, I really did. I thought it was fantastic. Um, we'll talk about the video clip probably because that's a big part of it. Um, and I and that that was part of I loved it was just so different hearing a bass voice um, as the lead singer of a rock band. Like, uh, I don't, I don't want to say you've never heard that before, but you certainly, you certainly hadn't uh, heard it for a while at least. Yeah. And, um, and I thought that that was really, really cool. Um, and, and this week um, it brought back nice memories and I certainly didn't hate it at all. I quite enjoyed listening to it, to be honest. I, I had a good time with this one. Yeah, I, th- I think Casey's right. Part of the novelty was you grow up listening to rock and pop music or you hear our tenor voices. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, hearing a guy with an actual bass voice, that was interesting. I found it weird at the time when it came out, It's um, which it's supposed to be. Listening to it now, I think it's a very affected kind of weird. Yeah, that that he's trying to do. It definitely falls into the let your freak flag fly mm. kind of school that was going on at the time in 1994, and that these days I find, yeah, a little bit of a turn off. I, I really didn't like it this week much at all. Tim Byron. So, what's the date that this got to number one? Uh, June 1994. Yeah. So, 1994 was my first year of high school. Like, 1994 was the year I was in Year 7. Right. And so I, I remember primary school kind of being a happier place than high school. Like, I don't remember primary school having as much of that kind of pecking order kind of so- social status bullshit that high school definitely had. And, like, and so I sort of feel like I kind of wandered through primary school, like, unaware. Like, I probably was there, but I was just totally unaware and oblivious to, like, people laughing at me for being a weirdo who liked Doctor Who and shit. Mm. And... um. And in high school, that was not the case. Like in, in, in high school, in high school, um, you know, because you're the, you know, I was one of the shortest um, kids in year seven and year seven is the shortest grade, of course, because everyone's growing up with hormones and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I became aware of the pecking order and had, you know, like my, my school was weird because it was like sort of half day students like me who went there every day from home and half like kids who boarded and who were mostly from the country. And so there was this sort of weird coming to grips with country people in the first play, you know, for the first time and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, and they were all, you're gay. And I was getting a lot of that at the time. So for me, I love this song because it was sort of expressing what life was about for me. Like, you know, high school is about being normal. Like, you know, if you're normal in high school, no one can, you know, can attack you because you're just normal. You know, and so, like, yeah. if you've got something that's different about you, you can be attacked. And so I felt that that was what this song was about. It was, like, that kind of situation. And so, yeah, like, with him, with the, um, with that bass kind of baritone voice he's got, um, you know, like you guys said, like, that's not a part of um, rock music usually because rock music is usually about being young. Like, you know, you've got the high voice because rock music is a, is a music of youth. Mm. And so for him to sing in that kind of bass baritone voice, it has that kind of overtones of, you know, that he's not young and he's looking on this stuff and thinking that that kind of stuff in high school is total bullshit. You know, it's got that kind of like, he is an older person who's looking back kind of feeling about it. And um, yeah, so I totally related to this in, in 1994 being like this sort of short nerdy kid who didn't have that many friends. And, um, and, you know, I, I could relate to the kids, even if I didn't have like Pentecostal parents who were, you know, making me like, you know, talk, uh, like, uh, in tongues and all that kind of thing, like they do and mm. like writhe around the floors. You know, I, I could relate to that to some extent. So yeah, I loved it at the time listening to it now. Um, it's pretty understated still. I still feel it's pretty good. Um, uh, looking at the Wikipedia page, there was a quote from PJ O'Rourke, who's kind of a dick anyway. Um, <laughs> but he, he was, he wrote a, um, a, an article about how life is actually better now, like in the mid nineties. And his quote was, even the bad things are better than they used to be. Bad music, for instance, has got yeah, much briefer. Really <laughs> Wagner's ring cycle takes four days to perform. Well, mm, 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 mm by the crash test dummies last little more than three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, 
Yeah, and I, I read that and I was like, no, nah, that's not bad music. We have recently had two Brian Adams tunes yeah. at number one. <laughs> <laughs> Danny? Yeah, well, I love this song and I love it now. Yeah. Really? I just It's always been one of those things. And it's interesting what, what you find out about yourself in podcasts and the thing that you said a few weeks ago that I kind of like these kind of bands. Yeah. And I didn't realise that everyone else did it. Like, <laughs> this is oh, I think I did, but I think you, you've held on to it a lot more. <laughs> like, for me, this is a great song back in the day, and it's a great song now. Like, yeah. it's still, um, yeah, it hasn't, maybe it hasn't dated for me because it just sounds so weird as well. The whole thing about this song was it's weird. Yeah. It's like, what's this voice? What the hell is he singing about? What the hell happened to that kid? In the change room, whatever. Mm. Like, why didn't his parents just let him stay home? Like, hang out after school. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> like, it is this whole uh, enigma of it, which is very fascinating and I think still works. And, yeah, it's a great song. And, I mean, yeah, obviously they're a one-hit wonder and, and I, I guess there are, there are elements in it that could piss someone off. But it sounds like very little else, really. And it's it's very fascinating, very original, very very good, and uh, and yeah, those high school feelings as well. Yeah, they were there. They were fascinating, and I could see those kids at school and stuff like that. I'm just going, yeah. It falls into a, a bucket of music that I call alternative for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's not mainstream, but everyone can enjoy this. Yeah, it's like what's up by Four Non Blondes and Blind Melon and these weird looking people who wore secondhand clothes and probably didn't wash too much, but hey. You can play this at McDonald's. So, yeah. yeah. And well done. This is the era <laughs> of that music. So, yeah, Crash Test Dummies. Um, the other thing I want to say about Crash Test Dummies is I was in Sanity in Marathon Metro recently in a store that would be lucky to, to stock more than 800 titles. And that first Crash Test Dummy CD was in there. That God shuffled his feet. Yeah. Wow. That was... That was obviously selling enough, and they thought <laughs> in this day and age, someone might walk into sanity and still buy that record. In the in the days of like YouTube, audio, Spotify, yeah. iTunes, people are going to <laughs> go into a record store and buy the CD, hey, the full the, album the of crash, God Shuffles His Feet. It's the crash test dummies that are moving units, man. <laughs> yeah. Was it that, that they thought they'd bought a new copy or had that copy been there since <laughs> Back when it was called the Brashes. Well, I mean, I, I saw it there and I clearly remember the album cover and I think mm. this was a big record. And, like, I remember kids at school having it. This was just one of those records. Like, So let's have the obligatory uh, follow-up single conversation. Um, oh, do you guys remember Afternoons and Coffee Spoons? I certainly do. I yeah. don't. I, I saw it today. T.S. Eliot quote. Yeah. Uh, that's craziness. it. I because um, I listened to that because I remember it from the time and I listened to it again this week. I thought that was pretty good I too. Think a, I think it's a better song. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. No, really. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's not bad. It just didn't have that kind of the feel of this one. Like as a no. song, it works, but like as a feel and as a kind of like novelty kind of thing, it doesn't mm. work anywhere and as near as well. It's like you know, it's like Radiohead with Creep. Like it's not really representative of them. Like. Isn't really representative of Crash Test Dummies, but it kind of had a certain mood about it, which was what people wanted at the time. Yeah, I, I also think this song is so consciously trying to make a point about what's going on within the lyrics about kids being alienated or outcast within school. That yeah, it, it for me it doesn't necessarily feel too natural, and it definitely falls within a category of music and also writing in general that I call American quirk that is just so enthralled with its own quirkiness. And the quirkiness is what it plays up, whereas the actual emotional or psychological aspects of what's going on, it it seeps through a bit and they don't necessarily handle it badly, but that's put more towards the back of the shelf, whereas the quirk is what is played up. So you don't like that? No, it just doesn't work for me. And look, I don't think I'm not offended by this in any mm. way. I just don't like it as much it, as maybe if they took another approach to it, I possibly would. But then they wouldn't be the crash test dummies. Well, it's interesting because there is 
the, one of the elements watching the film clip again today, we we all remember the film clip and mm. and and the nature of the song. It actually felt very David Lynch. Mm. And I know how much you love David yeah. Lynch. And no, kind of I like I like the film clip more than well, I like the song. <laughs> there is the bit in the uh, in the song where he talks about the kids' hair going white. Was he just in you know inhabited by the malevolent de- demon from uh, King Kids Bob? <laughs> Leyland Palmer is that what happened? Child. <laughs> yeah. Casey still hasn't seen the show, have you? <laughs> <laughs> we might have just spoiled everything for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think there's a, I think there's like a, a seven year statute of limitations on spoilers. Like if I haven't seen well, yeah, things by this point, <laughs> like I can't get upset about spoilers. <laughs> but, I mean, to be honest, with which is a, it's a really annoying song to say the title to. It is a fucking annoying. Song I, I have title, to say that. I don't yeah. actually feel that like that it's that self-consciously quirky. And maybe that's because I've seen Archi- Architecture in Helsinki live. These things exist on a sliding scale. That was one of the funniest things ever. That's great. But the thing um, that we have with mm, uh, JD and I is that it's a really easy song to sing like something else to the tune of the verse. <laughs> well, that's... Like, and, oh, just make up your own lyrics? Yeah, just make up your own lyrics. Like, um, you know, we, we do it all the time and just, like, make them up on the spot, and it kind of works because of the something about the the rhythm of it or the kind of way it kind of goes around. So, Once you know, you could do something there was like... this guy who had a hundred books about a guy called Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once there were these guys who... Uh, had this podcast where they talked about the 90s and when <laughs> they got to 94, they had to listen to Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> they couldn't quite explain <laughs> it, how it got to know the world. Oh, I think it's a deserving number one, though. Um, there's just that. It's almost like a limerick, isn't it? It's like... The one that's like Every, it's just, everything fits. Like, yeah, it just tells the story in the most, like, it's... Yeah, it's almost like every verse starts with a classic sort of man walks into a bar sort of thing. Like, well, it, just, <laughs> like it just rolls yeah. out. You just have to Once there was this, they did something, and that's it. There's no ending. It doesn't tell you anything about these people. What the hell happened to that girl in the change room? We don't know. Well, that's probably the thing that annoys me, that particular little structure. You know, this happened, and then we'll move on to the other thing. It's just kind of this very ADHD and kind of the thoughtful beard stroking at the end. Do we do we all agree that the kid with the pentacle? Pentecostal parents actually has it worse than the other two? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not sh- I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. I mean, the crash test dummies think so, but I'm not convinced. Well, the crash test, I don't know about the crash test dummies, but the two the, the, the two original kids well, think. Yeah, yeah, kind of mirroring yeah. the hierarchy in high school that you always kick down. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, so- yeah, just regarding what Tim was saying about words, any words fitting, Weird Al Yankovic was <laughs> the first to kind of explore that little. Uh, so what was his parody? Well, he, he... Once there was this, uh, the, the best, the best uh, verse from it, like what his parody did was he, um, he took like this thing, the parody was called Headline News and he took mm. like just weird news stories that were quite famous at the time, like Tonya Harding and um, the, the last Lorraine person, Bobbitt. like the one who had it the worst, um, I can sing this now. And then there was this guy who made his wife so mad one night that she cut off his wiener. And when <laughs> he finally came to, he found that Mr. Happy was missing. <laughs> he couldn't quite explain it. It had always had been there. <laughs> I'm enjoying singing this because I have a baritone voice. Yeah. <laughs> so... One thing that I found when I was doing a little bit of YouTube, I got myself into a, a good old-fashioned YouTube hole during the week, as, as one does, um, and I found vision of, it was like on a MTV Awards or something, of Weird Al singing this with the crash test. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going on the top line. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm. This song was number one for six weeks from the 2nd of July, 1994. It also has the honour of being the highest-selling single of 1994. 
This is Wet 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 with Love Is All Around. selling single of 1994 does it deserve that honor tim coyle we haven't started with you tonight no fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Man. god okay so how did you feel about it back in the day didn't singer? like it a whole lot and over the years yeah it's gotten worse and <laughs> oh, what can you say it's just I mean, the original is an okay song, but it's not a great song. And this is just a butchering of a not great song mm. by the schmaltziest schmaltzers who ever schmaltzed. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, this is just cringeworthy. It was a bit sappy and soppy for me even back then, and I was a pretty sappy and soppy kid. But this was just laying it on way too thick. and. Yeah, it's very saccharine, and it's very oh, just convinced of its own importance. And <laughs> yeah, I I can't say much more than I've already <laughs> said. So yeah, uh, it's awful. And yeah, and Tim mentioned that it is a cover of a of a track by the Trolls, and I'm sure we'll talk about. It. So let's move along to no, Casey. What do you think about this song? You know what? Um, <laughs> I don't like it, but I don't have a problem with it either. You know, um, I agree that the Trog song is not a great song either. Uh, I was kind of expecting to... I listened to the Trog song this week. I haven't heard it for a very, very long time, and I expected to, to just think, yeah, this is great, and they fucked it up. But, like, it's not even great. Um, so I think it's actually... a pretty reasonable um, reading for mm-hmm. its purpose. It was a song for a purpose. It was a big song from a movie. So it had to be a certain thing and they made it what it needed to be. And I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, the original version is pretty sappy as well. Yeah. And this is just with the more production, 90s sap added onto the top and it did its job. I think it's fine, really. I don't like it, but... <laughs> Tim Byron. Shit is all around. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, because you bloody well picked, um, Danny, you bloody well picked Sweet Surrender for your 1990 Choose Your Adventure. I couldn't use shit, shit, shit to introduce this song. Because <laughs> I'd done it already. Oh, so well. shit is all around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, at the time, I remember sort of listening to this and I don't recall hating it. I just remember thinking this is the kind of song that that kind of movie probably has to have as like a promotional kind of thing for the movie Four Weddings and a Funeral, which I recall liking well enough at the time. The only thing I remember from that film now is Rowan Atkinson as the minister. The rest yeah. is pretty vague, apart from Hugh Grant poncing around as he does in every movie that he's ever been in. But that kind of, that doesn't stand out to me anymore. Uh, but yeah, the Rowan Atkinson is the minister saying uh, your awful wedded wife uh, made me laugh when I watched that today, so that's cool. But um, yeah, this, yes, hi. Mm-hmm. It's just like I think the thing. Like I listened to the Trogs version as well, and the Trogs version isn't great. It's an, it's all right, but the Trogs version has kind of got an unassumingness about it. Like he he's saying this stuff, but he's not trying to actually say that 
you know, that his love will last forever. It, like, he's kind of saying it, but he, he, he doesn't quite believe it. It's not got that kind of big epic, you know, hugeness that this one does. Like, Marty Pello, when he sings this, like, you know, he believes that love is all around and he wants you to believe it. And, um, and it's so cynical and to sort of put together and it, there's no, I can't hear any emotion in this and I don't like it. And, <laughs> and, and. So you're still on the fence then. <laughs> uh, uh, what do you think, Danny? You like You like it, way. don't you? Yeah, I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Like this shit. It's okay. I mean, um, it's like, yeah, I don't think it's a good song. Like, in terms of, I don't think the Trogs wrote a good song, and I don't think, um, and if anything, they added something to it. Like, they basically took a half-decent melody and and a, and a chorus, and then they added the guitars and stuff like that. And, yeah, it works well, like, for what they're trying to do, and it's a pretty enough little thing. Like, it totally does a job that it was supposed to do in that film. Uh, the thing that... Really- it, just, it just sounds like a brief that's been satisfied... <laughs> Doesn't well, the thing that really strikes me about this song, and I remember at the time, is that it's so Britpop. That big, loud guitar. Mm. And it's like, it's so suited for what British bands were doing at the time. It's very similar to what Take That were doing at the time, going from being a boy band and then doing songs like Never Forget and things like that. And it's just like, yeah, it's all... And then pretty soon Back for Good, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But then it's all sort of meeting in the middle now and yeah and it's so it's for me it's a curiosity in that wow even wet 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 went brick pop yeah in the height of four weddings and a funeral and oasis and had a massive hit out of it when you say Brit pop, like, do you mean like Oasis and Blur, or do you have a different kind of Brit pop that you're talking about? Oh yeah, Oasis and Blur, but also Suede and the sort of early Elastica and sort of. You know, all that stuff that's really there. You look very so, confused. I can see, like, that, say, Robbie Williams uh, with Angels and stuff like that, who's kind of influenced by the kind of okay, balance would, of Britpop. Okay. Like, yes. I can hear the relationship between that and this, but... Yes, uh, that's the... I, that's the I, just, I just like that Tim Burham was trying to establish in his mind the, the line going from, say, Sway's Animal Nitrate through to this. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no that, this is like saying that... Um, it's like saying disco was so big that even the Rolling Stones did a disco-ish song. Yeah. You know, or everyone else so did where, a So where, where did the Rolling Stones? But, yeah, but that's the thing. Like, <laughs> those loud, screeching guitars are so in. Never say that, that sentence time. again. Shows the sound. Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know. Never say that sentence again. Yeah, I don't know what to say other than, yeah, it's kind of a middle-of-the-road thing. And you know what? I love Paul Weddings and Funeral, the film, and I love Richard Curtis's films. Yeah. And so there's a nostalgia there. I I think this is the thing. This song, this is what Richard Curtis turned into, is this song. Yeah, but I like that. Yeah, he used to be incredibly witty and used to have a degree of insight, but he became this song. Yeah, and, 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 you know, Notting Hill and Love Actually, I guess. uh kind of, that horse as much as... But I kind of like it because there, no one else was doing that. And, um, and you know, Bridget Jones' Diary and stuff like that. But, uh, oh, look, there's a lot about those films that I love. One of, the, one of the things I really, really love about it is, and it's sort of so respected for doing is that it showed a modern Britain that wasn't just, gee, things are tough in Liverpool. Yeah, like, yeah, and which in Australian <clears throat> film we still haven't done, no, right? Like still Western suburbs. Oh god, and freaking or... Animal Kingdom and Snowtown and all these fucking films about how fucking hard it is. But like, you know, for him to come along, one of the greatest comedy writers in Britain, and just go, oh, I'm going to write stuff where I show modern day looking on a hill and modern day people doing modern day things, and just write a great story that takes over the world, and even stuff like. Billy Elliot is like, you know, a minor story, isn't that? But he just went, no, I'm going to do something really cosmopolitan and modern about my city because we're not just about fucking miners. And like... Well, no, they were all closed down. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. We still don't have that in Australia. Like, I mean, a film like, I don't know, say uh, When Harry Met Sally, I mean, I know it's very New York film, but that could be set anywhere. That story was just so good. Mm. And no one's writing those stories again. He decided to do one in England and 
I, and the fact that he's the only one doing it is great. I mean, there's lots of people who ripped him off. It's a lot like the bands that we talked about, like Faith No More, who is whose biggest crime was that they inspired lots of shit bands, yeah, rather than actually being too shit. Yeah, but the, I think the thing with people, yeah. yeah, I think the thing with <laughs> someone like Richard Curtis or Ben Alton is they became the thing they hated. They became their song, basically. It's, yeah, yeah. They, they went from doing something very much out of step with trends, as you as you were saying, but then just kept doing the same thing, such that it became incredibly sentimental on one note. I feel I, like I, I feel like four weddings and a funeral would have been better if um, one of the weddings was more like the one in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Our last song of tonight is number one for five weeks from the 13th of August, 1994. This is All For One with I Swear. I swear by the moon and the stars in the skies And I swear like the shadow that's by your side I see the questions in your eyes I know what's weighing on your mind You can be sure I know my part Cause I stand beside you through the years You'll only cry though Casey Atkins, awful one, I swear. What do you think? But before I, before I do throw to you, just for listeners at home, just just that we're accurate. It's all, and then the number four, and then one spelt out in letters. I believe with hyphens. With, yeah, yeah, with hyphens. With hyphens as well. You got oh, you right. got to get the hyphens. Yeah, you know, obvious. Uh, otherwise, they'll never come up on a Google search, which I'm <laughs> sure you're all going to perform as soon as you listen to this podcast. Yeah, if you're not careful, instead that Brian fucking Adams song is going to come up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be That's true, huh? That, 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 that uh, you know. Maybe uh, people bought this single thinking yeah. it was going to be uh-huh. a Brian Adams song. <laughs> well, <laughs> that never happened before. Where, like, that a, explains a lot. A song name that got to number one and a band name that got to number one is the same thing. Like, that's kind of cool. That's a good trivia question. <laughs> Did you ever write the song Soda Stream? Yeah, I want to do the uh, like it's the it's the Nick Lowe Bowie thing, right? Yeah. When, yeah, yeah. Like Bowie put out the album Low, Nick Lowe put out an album EP good Bowie without the E. <laughs> 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 it's genius. Uh, Casey. Yeah, um hmm. That whole thing about the all for one being the same as the Brian Adams song may actually explain why the hell this got to number one. I don't really understand. Like, it was a big style of music that was really happening about this point, and it was a style of music that I absolutely hated and just avoided at all costs. In listening to it this week, it's um, it's saved the best for last. Oh, in terms of the song, yeah. not the podcast that we've been doing. What? <laughs> we haven't been saving no. <laughs> I'm saying that this if this yeah. song was written by the same person who wrote Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if it was sung over the same backing track as um, <laughs> Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. Um, so, dear listener, what you can do is backtrack a few weeks for when we spoke about Said the best for last by Vanessa Williams and everything I said about that, I feel about this. Mm. The only thing I will say is that it kind of sounds like um, uh, like Boys to Men, that kind of vibe. It's in, it's in that template. 
I don't actually think it's much worse, to be honest. Well, okay. Well, Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, speaking of boys to men, like, the thing I think about this song is that, like, right now in Australia in 2013, the biggest single of the year so far has been Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke. And basically, Robin Thicke only has a career because he sounds quite a lot like Justin Timberlake. Right. I thought he only had a career because some girls got their boobs out in his last film clip. Well, girls get out their boobs in film clips all the time. Yeah, but, you know, people are stupid. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like, this is the same with, like, Boys to Men. Like, it's like Boys to Men didn't have another single at this point. The people wanted a single that sounded like Boys to Men at this point. This is the one that we got. Yeah, yeah good point. Yep. Good point. It was just a, yeah, it filled the gap, right? Yeah. And so, like, Justin Timberlake's new album didn't quite have that big single that was just going to be chart-topping, but Robin Thicke had a song that was good enough to be that, and so that's what we got instead. And so this is kind of the same. Um, I did research, and apparently this, um, like uh, I Will Always Love You, this was originally a country song. Yeah, right. Originally done by a guy called, uh, originally performed by a guy called John Michael Montgomery. Oh yeah, and I listened. I listened to that on Spotify, and it sounds exactly the fucking same, except he's got an accent. Yeah, um, right. He's got that kind of southern accent, and um, the guy sings in that kind of yeah, that kind of countryish kind of way. Otherwise, it sounds the same. And so, I imagine after after David Foster's success with um, <coughs> with "I Will Always Love You," like there were lots of A and R guys going looking through country songs to find the right song that you can turn into an A and R fucking contemporary ballad. And, um, yeah, yeah, this is it. Tim Coyle. Tim Coyle, what do you think? Oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to answer Casey's question of how this got to number one, other than our theory of people were buying this instead of the Brian Adams song. Because <laughs> I, I quite like that theory. I like that one. one. But I know why it really got to number one. My people, Girls like my sister uh-huh. are why this got to number one. Because she lapped this up. Yeah. And I think Tim Byron's right. It, getting to number one on the back of Boys to Men's popularity yep. is a big part of this. And obviously, I hated this at the time because my sister loved it. <laughs> Therefore, by default, I can't like it. And I wasn't going to like this anyway. And now uh, it's, it's really terrible. I spoke last week about. Um, the lead singer from E17 having that very clipped, high, somewhat nasally voice, which I think, and it happens again here. The first guy who sings, I think we will now call it the prissy boy band tenor. Right. Mm. Uh, it's, yeah, fucking hate it. It's so infantile and it's very calculated to be aimed at preteen early teen girls. Yeah, it's very innocent sounding, isn't it? It's supposed to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be, but it's affected, and I really hate it. And, yeah, it's very strong at first in this song. The guy who sings second's got a much better voice. Much better voice. I can't believe that you've analysed it. I (laughs) know. Neither can I. I can't believe that you listen to it more than once. Yeah, one of them's got a decent voice. The other guy's got that the awful pretty boy band tenor <laughs> and yeah it's just awful and cloying and manipulative and i don't know that's enough pejorative <laughs> terms <isn't laughs> yeah you liked it didn't you no i don't <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> fucking david foster you can't um whoa that's oh, okay we've got a c-bomb he, he c-bomb on 90 <laughs> <laughs> he can take it we'll just turn around and go Yes, Danny, very good. Allow me to jump off my wallet now. Um, he's, he's, this is him. He's so friggin' just, I don't know, clean and nice. And how the hell do you tell apart the karaoke version and this? Like, it's just, oh, sounds like a karaoke song. The film clip actually looks a bit like a karaoke film clip. It's like people just sort of wistfully walking around. Yeah, those random backgrounds that they have. Can you tell the difference? I'm sure this would have done great in, uh, Karaoke land, and I'm sure it'd be great in Asia. It just feels like very sort of, um, yeah, modern Asian pop, and it's just terrible. There's nothing there. It's worse than say the best for last. Uh, and yeah, and just like that whole the moon and the stars and the just the friggin' it's it's English as a second language song. It's just like, 
it's, it's not good enough by any means. And there is a lot of people who have not, nothing else in life but to find romance. They can't find romance in real life, so they find it in a shit song. So it's uh, yeah, it's a terrible song in uh, every respect. The one no, thing it's I- funny. It's funny with this song um, because, like, I, I listened to it and I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't as bad as I was expecting it to, expecting it to be. Like, I thought, I was expecting this to be much worse and I was listening to it and thinking, well, it's not as bad as Vanessa Williams or, like, Whitney or something. And then there was a fucking sax solo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And I was That's like, no, this is and, worse. And a key change. Yeah, it's part yeah. Of it. it builds up. And then to there's it that like melisma at the end, that ah, 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 ah kind of thing at the end that's just like ah, oh, fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> awful one. <laughs> so the, but the, with the with the boys to men comparisons, the thing is, if sleazy boys to men guy kind of came in, was, hey girl, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would have made it so much better. <laughs> All the guys can crash their stummies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this song yeah, actually the- won a Grammy as Whoa. well. Oh, it's just crazy. What was it? Up against <laughs> a turn in the shit sandwich. <laughs> 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 yeah. This year's Grammy for shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> shit sandwich couldn't be here to <laughs> <laughs> The thing I love about the Wikipedia page for All For One is like the great pains they take to point out that this was not their only big single. <laughs> like the Wikipedia page like, <laughs> is like, despite the fact that people think this is only a number, like this is their only like big hit, um, this was not their first big hit. Their first big hit was the year before where they had a number five single with So Much In Love, apparently, which didn't get here. But let's face it, they're a one-hit wonder. Of course. No, totally, totally. Even if they had a number five, they're a fucking hard one hit wonder because, you know, no one remembers any other song but this one. I didn't even remember this song until it's funny. <laughs> I found the nominees. Um, oh, you did? For the, for the best pop, pop performance by a duo group with vocal, the All For One won. Yeah. Uh, the other nominees were The Sign by Ace of Base. Oh, come on. No way. Mm, 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 by Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories, Stay, I Miss You. Oh, that's oh, a great song. Yeah, and I'll Stand By You by The Pretenders. Oh my that's God. funny that two of Fuck you, Grammy Award <laughs> rewarding committee. <laughs> I mean, Grammy, no, I, does anybody take the Grammy seriously? Not after this. <laughs> As usual, we're going to go through the list of songs that we've talked about tonight and somehow choose a favourite out of the songs that we talked about. Just to recap, the ones that we covered tonight were Ace of Bass with The Sign, Prince, or Squiggly, with The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, uh, Crash Test Dummies with mm, 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 mm. Wet, Wet, Wet with Love Is All Around, and All For One with I Swear. Tim Byron. This is hard. Like, I, um, I'm really torn between the sign and mm-mm-mm-mm. Mm. I think I'm going to say the sign, I think, because mm-mm-mm-mm is such an annoying word, to, like, annoying title to say. So I think I'm just going to go for the sign so I don't have to say that title again. You said it because twice in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Tim Coyle. The sign. Wow. Casey Atkins. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I, I'm with the... It's the sign versus mm, 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 and I think I'm going to go with the sign. Damn. So that makes I lose. Three to one. So well yeah. done, Ace of Base. Uh, always being the eternal sign of 1994. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that wraps it up for another 90% Hits. Casey, do you want to let people know where they can find us on the internet? Absolutely. You can find us uh, everywhere, everywhere you'd care to look, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do we have a Pinterest yet? We don't have Pinterest, actually. Yeah, everywhere but Pinterest. So you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Gmail, 90% hits, um, with percent spelled out in words in all instances. And um, if you 
uh, want to hear more about like the weird stuff from the 90s, uh, we're going to post stuff on our blog. So for, for example, for the crash test dummies, uh, if you wanted to hear Afternoons and Coffee Spoons or Wida Yankovic with them, we're going to post the videos for that on our Tumblr blog, which is 90percenthits.tumblr.com. Uh, and also reviews of the different songs where we sort of talk in more in depth about what we think about stuff, uh, usually me and uh, Tim Coyle, but also like uh, Danny and Casey butt in every so often. We also talk about number twos. And, um, and yeah, tell us about iTunes, Danny. Uh, yes, and please leave us a message on iTunes and a ranking and also on the blog, mainly because we love getting our feedback and we read everything that anyone writes, but also it helps us get you know found on iTunes. It comes up in the search results if the more that we get comments and we love all the comments that we've been getting and once again we still need a sign off so if anyone's got any ideas please let us know and we will give you a prize uh maybe our sign off today should just be life is demanding without sand without understanding 90% (laughs) hits yeah maybe we should just throw a few ideas together and run a poll and see what see what comes up so we'll see how we go but until then thanks for listening Danny and Casey butt in every so often. We also talk about number twos. And, um, and yeah, tell us about iTunes, Danny. Uh, well, just, yeah, leave a comment on the blog or iTunes or wherever you can. We read all the comments, but also those those comments help us. Many of the number twos <laughs> are number twos. <laughs> I tried, I tried. We couldn't quite get <laughs> In the sky. That's it. I'm broken. I think I'm broken. I'll be there. Well, there I'll be was there. To death do us part. Oh, Once there was this band. <laughs> tried to sound a lot like boys to men. And when they How met many other verses do you reckon they had written to that song? Yeah, exactly. They picked three. 30. I guess yeah, 30. Then we can call it.